Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education, those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. Hey, have you ever felt as though you're not doing enough in your life? Well, over the next hour or so, Game Changers, get ready for an experience with somebody who lives as rich and full and as inspiring a life as you could possibly imagine. Where do I begin with Jahin Tanvir? Other than to say, he is the sort of person who exemplifies a life of taking the big step forward and up. He's CEO of the Australian School of Entrepreneurship. He's done TEDx speeches and he's a board director, social commentator. He was a finalist for the Young Australian of the Year. He was the Young Canberra Citizen of the Year. He's a board director at the Adolescent Health Association of Australia, UNICEF Young Ambassador, a Movember Ambassador. He's the founder of Breathe and EdTech, a social enterprise that provides public speaking education. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. He loves his mum's cooking. He's into the gym. He's amazing. I can't wait. I'm excited. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 12 sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course. We are proud to be partnered with the education team of the Museum of Australian Democracy at Old Parliament House in Canberra, Australia's capital city. Looking for civics and citizenship experiences and resources to empower voice and agency in your Australian classroom? The MOAD Learning Team have got you covered with on-site and online experiences for teachers and young people of all ages. Visit MOAD Learning at M-O-A-D-O-P-H dot gov dot A-U forward slash learning. That's M-O-A-D-O-P-H dot gov dot A-U forward slash learning. Phil, it is so wonderful to be with you again. And are you enjoying this wonderful fine day in the greatest city in the world, Melbourne? Look, it's a beautiful day. The sun <laughs> is shining. Bravo is out by the front gate acting as the sheriff, just making sure people going past doing the right sort of thing. Yes. Um, yeah, it's good, Adriano. How's, how's sunshine? Sunshine is glorious. The sun is shining. Anyway, enough of this nonsense. Let's get to our, our guest. And, and I love that introduction, Phil, because I don't know how often we get to... Uh, to, to meet with people who continually have achieved so much in such a short period of time. And we're really excited, Jaheen, that you're on our show, uh, Game Changer Series 12, which is all about educating for voice, agency and advocacy. So, Jaheen, I'm going to ask you the very first question we ask all of our guests, and that is, tell us a little bit about your story and how you've gotten to where you are today. Oh, thanks so much, Chance. And that's probably the coolest introduction I've ever received ever before. And also, Adrian, I'm going to hold you to it. The greatest city in Australia is actually Sydney, but we'll get into that later. Oh, boy, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, right, right. Oh, you just well, teach him, boy. You teach him. Nice. You yeah, ask you... what my personal story is, and it does start in Sydney. So I wasn't born in Australia. I was born in Taka, Bangladesh. I moved to this country with my parents in 2003. So a full first-generation migrant as it comes. Uh, but my schooling and upbringing was in Western Sydney. So if anybody is listening here knows 
uh, Punchbowl, known as Bankstown. That's where I grew up. And then later moved on to Southwest Sydney. So in the Liverpool area, that's where I'm currently in. And the weather is absolutely stunning today. So very, very happy. I mean, my story is a very typical migrant story, to be totally honest with you. Growing up in this country, I've got very dark skin color. English is my second language. And as you would expect, a lot of racism, a lot of discrimination, a lot of feeling like I'm very, very different. And I just do not belong in any capacity at school, in the community at all. And I think for a lot of my periods in primary school, high school, I went through that stage of trying to figure out who I am. What do I even want to do in life? Feeling very lost. Again, very typical migrant story. But the only difference between that and where I am today is I was just someone who decided to break out of my shell. I think I'd say in year 10 or year 11, I was just like to myself, I don't like the life I'm leading. I don't like having so much self-pity, feeling like I don't belong, all these things. Why don't I do something about it? And so it was very small steps that I took. So for instance, I was a very shy kid. I had a lot of social anxiety. I decided to tell myself, you know what, every lesson, I'm just going to start putting my hand up more, or I'm going to start talking to this teacher out of nowhere, or introducing myself to a group of friends that I haven't spoken to a lot of, a long time. Just very small that I decided to do, just getting out of my comfort zone more and more, and just told myself, hey, this is what I want to do. This is who I want to be. And yeah, did more of that until I went to university, uh, moved to Canberra for university, and I was just like, hey... I want to get involved in young people's issues with my lived experience. I want to be able to be a leader, be a role model in the community. And then as things go, one door open up for the other. And I find myself here at 22 ASE with doing youth advocacy on the side. And it's been, it's been crazy to say the least, but humble beginnings more than anything. Shaheen, there's a, there's a lot in that story that we can pick up on. I, I want to pick up on that moment when you're in year 10, year 11, you're around the age of 15 and you make a decision about a sense of purpose and how you're going to dedicate your life. Can you walk us through that a little bit more, please? Can you tell us what you remember? Was there a moment? Was there a, like, how did that happen? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a moment where I was just reflecting on life again in year 10, different social determinants and all that. But I realized I didn't really have any role models that I could look up to other than obviously my parents who are at my absolute rocks, love them to death. But the reality is somebody who's a first generation migrant, someone who comes from a South Asian background, someone who's young, there was never really anyone in the community who was, you know, going out of their way, doing things that, you know, that I was passionate about, for instance, advocating for young people's issues or education or healthcare. There really wasn't anybody. If there was somebody who was, for instance, South Asian who looked like me, they were like 40, 50, more than anything. And it's hard to relate to them. It's fantastic to respect them and learn from their journey, but it's really hard to see myself in them, especially in the next five years after I would graduate high school. And so for me, I had this moment after having a chat with um, family and they were just like, what do you want to do in the future? And the only thing that came to my head was, I just want to be a role model. I just want to be someone that other young people can see and feel like they can see themselves in. And again, this was me in year 10. I was like, what, 16 years old. But I just had that word always in my on in my mind. I just want to be a model. I just want to be like somebody people could look up to and say, hey, if they're doing it, I can do it too. And I think 
that was a big motivator for me. It, was, it lit a fire in me where I was just like, okay, I didn't have anyone when I was growing up. Why can't I be that for someone else? But again, it wasn't an overnight process. It wasn't just like a click of the finger where I was like, oh, now I'm a role model. It was a massive journey, but it was just that moment where I was just like, I have no one to look up to that looked like me. So why not be that person or try to be that person? So I'm sitting here listening to your interaction with Phil. And first of all, thank you very much for sharing your personal journey. Why is belonging and identity important? Well, it comes back to the leadership philosophy that I live my life with. And I actually have it plastered on my wall every time I wake up. And it's written as a line of, you can't be what you can't see. And the reality is identity, belonging, community, without it, there is nothing. You know, I think in this day and age, we always look at productivity, we look at success, we look at career as like, oh, it's going to make me so happy. But when you have all that, when you have the things that you're striving for, you always come back to, you know, if I have a good promotion, I celebrate it with my family, loved ones, people I care about. If I've done something awesome or have achieved something cool, what do you want to do after that? Oh, I want to celebrate. I want to be with people that I care about. Community, belonging, identity to me is everything. It's fundamental to everything. It's fundamental to what I do, the values my parents instilled into me. You know, my parents have struggled so much, made so many sacrifices, living a very, very, you know, very luxurious life in Bangladesh, moving to this country solely for their kids, solely for their kids' safety, for their kids, you know, prosperity and seeing that and seeing them not find community other than a handful of people in their locality who, again, were Bangladeshi. That to me, I realized is the most important thing because through thick and thin, through good and bad, you always come back to people. You always come back to people that look like you, people that you, um, mm-hmm. you know, resonate with, people who are like-minded, people who are emotionally on the same level as you. And so for me, again, you can't be where you can't see. So if I can have people look at me and look at me in the sense of, you know, he finds belonging through this or he finds community through this. That's what, that's everything to me. Again, career is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I love achieving things. I'm a very ambitious person. I'm, I'm like a dog with a bone when it comes to work. I'm a workaholic, but after a long day, the only thing I want to do is be with my loved ones, find that belonging, find that community more than anything. What, what's really, really um, coming through really strongly, Jahin, is you mentioned before that this is a typical migrant story, right? You, you, that was the language Absolutely. that you kind of used. I don't want to downplay migrant stories because I'm a product of migration and Phil is a product of migration, yeah? We've all come from different parts of this globe to to be in a... Well, our family, our parents have come to to Australia from different parts of the globe uh, in our con- my context, and I know Phil's, we're both born here. And so what's, what's um, interesting about that is that, yes, there's a typical element to it, but it still remains deeply remarkable. And the remarkable element to me is that we bring rich culture, history, language, food, understanding, arts to every place we go. And what we also bring is something you've just touched upon about the aspirations of your parents. We bring hope and optimism. Yeah. And that's coming through really, really, really profoundly. And so thank you for sharing that. When I think about the young people in our schools who come from diverse backgrounds, who are also different in their orientation, uh, the faiths that they might follow, some are neurotypical, some are neurodivergent. We've got this, this melting pot within our classrooms. How do you feel as a young person we could better 
help that diversity within our schools feel a greater sense of belonging, allow them to lean into their identity, and how can then we use our diversity as inherent strength, not something that divides us? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing that comes to mind is lived experience. I think when it comes to the school system, for instance, and the things that we do at school, to be totally frank and blunt with you, a lot of it seems very out of touch. A lot of it seems like this has worked in the last 10 years in young people's development. It should work now. But the reality is times have changed exponentially. Young people care about things now completely different from what they cared about two years ago, three years ago. And I think if we can sort of capture everything that's trendy, everything that's, you know, all the social determinants that young people, especially from diverse communities, care about, that would make a massive difference. Because mm-hmm. the reality is, again, when I, when I speak to young people, when there's somebody who graduated high school, what, four years ago now, having that lived experience and my own experiences, I realized a lot of the things that we, we were taught were, don't get me wrong, valuable, incredible science, English, maths, phenomenal, fundamental things that you need in life. But the things, for instance, life skills, things that around mental health, things like public speaking, things like what does it mean to network? What does it mean to grab a coffee with someone? Conflict resolution. What do I do if my friends completely ghost me? What? How do I navigate through TikTok, you know, social media? These are things young people want to learn. And these are things that need to be incorporated, especially with diverse lived experience. Because again, a lot of us, for instance, me being a first-gen migrant, I have a complete different experience or perception of education. We, we, you know, value education more than anything, you know, no matter what I do with my career, my mom is always like, oh, great, you've done that. How's uni going? Well, when's your next uni class? Make sure uni doesn't, you know, fall behind. Education is so important. But the reality is what we're being taught is, in a lot of cases, not transferable to what we want to do in the future outside of school. Okay, so I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm, I'm really hearing quite profoundly a, a, a young man uh, articulate so beautifully the value of psychological safety within our schools fundamentally. And that the first stage of psychological safety, of course, is identity safety. And that if, if young people feel that they are seen and that they're, they're, the diversity is valued, then there's a greater chance they're going to be making really positive contributions. So I want, I want to go down now that path. I want to go to the next stage of psychological safety, which is around learner safety, yeah, and, and this idea of agency. Breathe is an ed tech social enterprise providing public speaking education and coaching to young people and, and marginalised communities around Australia, impacting, and you've impacted over 16,000 uh, uh, in individuals. In 2022, Breathe was acquired by the ASE Group, of which you are now their CEO. So congratulations. So much of your work in this space is making education, entrepreneurship and employment accessible to all. So there's an agency component to that. But really profoundly for me, that agency component is around empowerment. We've now established real identity and belonging within schools. That's our student voice coming through really loudly and clearly. Let's now move to the position of agency, this empowerment piece where there's an exchange, an exchange of ideas between the adults and the students, where there's a character apprenticeship going on between the adults and the students. One is a novice, one's an expert, but then who knows? That might become flipped, right? Where the the student becomes the expert and the adult becomes the novice. So there's this respirosity that's going on. What would that look like in practice around some of the things that you touched upon that they're really interested in knowing, what will that agency really look like? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
the, the word that always comes to mind, but it's a very controversial word these days is co-design, right? It's a big buzzword now. It, it has very pure intentions, but the reality is it's always thrown around or in most cases not done correctly. Um, and for instance, when I started Breathe in April 2022, I started that as more of a side hustle because I wanted to have something that I could focus on, but also accessibility to ensure that communication, communication is a fundamental element as to how we can empower and create the agency for students. Because again, three in four people have a fear of public speaking, yet communication, effective communication is the most employable skill in any industry. But that's not what we're taught at school. So for me, my mission around Breathe, and again, coming from an advocacy background before I even started Breathe, um, was around how can we allow young people to have that empowerment, to speak to the teachers and say, hey, hey, I really love what we're doing here, but I'd also love to learn about diversity and inclusion. I'd also love to learn about how do I start my own business? I'd also like to learn about how I can be school captain. What's the process around it? It all starts with communication. In my eyes, communication, how you talk to someone, how you confidently use your body language, make eye contact, it makes a massive, massive difference. And that was the reason I started Breathe was because I wanted to be able to provide young people from low socioeconomic backgrounds, marginalized communities, go in there and say, hey, okay, English might be your second language. You might not feel like you belong in the school environment, but if you improve your communication, if you improve the way you speak, the way you articulate yourself, just the way you smile at someone and have that interaction, you can ask for what you want and have that communication and ask your teacher about mental health training or well-being or something that's bothering you or even going to your school psychologist and having that conversation. Agency to me is all about communication. It starts with how you speak to someone, but also starting that process of even saying, oh no, I actually want to speak to this person. I have the confidence to speak to that person. And so for me, agency, co-design, all these things fundamentally lies around how you communicate. Okay, so... Our challenge, once we've established a student voice within school and our identity, through, through individual identity belonging in the collective, is that we need to establish really good practices that allow young people to step into the breadth of the communication skill attribute. That's, about, that's also about listening. It's about writing. It's about, it's, it's about reading. It's also about um, basic numeracy as well, because that, that's a form of communication. Uh, and, and then all the, thing, all the things that wrap around that communication to be effective negotiator, to, to be able to understand how, how to, to enter into any kind of relationship where, where the exchange is an, is an important thing of, of actively listening, sometimes just to understand, not always just to respond. So there's this broad sweep of things. It's not just even my allocution. It's not just my tone. It's not how I stand. It's also just having all being equipped with all the necessary tools to communicate. I reckon Phil and I would 100% agree with you on this, that it's a fundamental skill of an effective leader moving forward. In, in the absence of being able to communicate, how do I tell a story? How do I, how do I sell a narrative? How do I convince people of why we need to go down a particular way if I can't connect and communication is such a crucial component. So I love the learning today that's coming from you, mate. I'm really, really appreciating what you're sharing with us. And now leads me to, though, we need structures to, to foster this. And schools fundamentally, they need to permission this within, within their curriculum and in everything that they're doing. For me, permission is this kind of necessary yes towards real movement. To, to purposeful action and ultimately to my self-actualization. 
Can you share with our listeners a time when across your career so far where you didn't wait for permission and you simply did something? Oh, I think I think my I still do it. I think not waiting for permission and always asking, oh, why can't I do it? Why can't I do it? It's been, you know, it's been a mo- reoccurring motif throughout my entire career. I think the best example that I can give is when I first started my youth leadership journey, um, first year university, again, moved to Canberra, felt very lost, knew no one in Canberra and Canberra is very small to compared to Sydney. And so it was a massive cultural shock for me. And I was studying optometry at the time, health, very, very meticulous in what we're studying. It's very like body part, eyes, body parts, eyes. Um, and I didn't enjoy it. And when I would talk, when I speak to my lecturers, for instance, or professors, they'd be like, oh, no, stick it out. This is your lane. Stick it out. Be, you know, well known in the optometry field around eyes, 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 eyes. And for me, I was just like, why can't me as an optometrist, even if this is my direction, why can't I do more than that? Why can't I, you know, advocate for health professionals or young people? Why can't I advocate for education around health literacy? Why can't I, you know, be on media? Why can't I advocate around these things? And so I would always bring that up and say, why can't we do that in different lecture rooms, different classes? And I'd get the same response. No, no, this is healthcare, stay in your lane, all these things around the bubble that you're almost put into when you're in university. And that's when I was just like, you know what? Let me give it a shot. Let me, let me for one year, let me still study, don't get me wrong. Let me pass my subjects, but also let me be proactive. Let me reach out to different volunteer organizations, for instance, and say, hey, I'm an 18-year-old, first-year student, first-year student, just moved to Canberra. Can I get involved in something? Just just let me volunteer. And so I think I sent about 300 emails in 2020, I think, just the same same template of email, just sending out, hey, would love to volunteer, would love to volunteer. And it was just me being proactive and telling myself, no, why can't I do more than that? Why can't I learn those skills around enterprise skills, public speaking, that's not in the bubble of what I'm meant to do in the health field? Um, and, you know, that's opened up many doors for me. And I continue to do that. Even in business, for instance, when I started with ASE, there's a lot of things that we did phenomenally. We work with about 180,000 young people every single year. But I've come in and I'm just like, okay, next year, why can't we work with a million? See, so I'm always asking that question of challenging and saying, why can't we do more than that? And I think that's that's a bit of a detriment to my personality sometimes, but it's what keeps me going, what wake, allows me to wake up every morning and love the work that I'm doing because I realize the potential. Very mindful of the situation that I'm in right now, but I'm very, very, very excited for the future. And that only comes because I ask, why can't we do more? Why can't we improve? Why can't we make even more impact? Listening to you talk to him, around your excitement and your ambitions and your aspirations for the future. There's a whole element of choice that sits behind all of this. You are a person who chooses not to be like other people. You are a person who chooses to ask why not rather than why. You are a person who chooses to explore possibility rather than accept limits. How can we teach young people to make these choices? Yeah, I think my response to that would be two parts. So number one, the reason I make that choice is because lived experience. You know, my parents made so many sacrifices migrating to this country. And for me, it's like, if I waste that opportunity, if I waste those sacrifices, what kind of son am I? You know, I've been given everything on such a beautiful, you know, almost like a silver plate where my parents have worked hard 
in very multiple jobs in the early 2000s to get to where we are today. And if I can give back half of that in terms of them looking up and say, oh, no, it was worth it. You know, look what he's done. It, it, It was worth it. That's everything to me. So I think if we can empower young people to tap into their lived experience of whatever it is, if it is struggle, if it is, you know, the greatness of their childhoods, the nostalgia of their childhoods, if we can empower their lived experience to feel like, no, you know what? It was awesome. Everything I've been given, every all the support I've been given, or all the support I wasn't given, that that is a massive motivator. And that's something you need. Like it's great to have extrinsic uh, motivations, you know, having a nice car, having a nice house, being on TV. It's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. It's great um, in terms of social value, but you need the intrinsic value, the intrinsic motivators of why am I doing this? Why am I waking up every single day? Why am I going through the mundane, the difficulties, the the hustle of email after email? Why am I doing this? And most of the time, the sustainability of that is lived experience, what you went through, who supported you, why you're here. And so I think if we can empower lived experience as much as we can, that's awesome. And another element of that um, is for young people to realize that they're young. (laughs) For me, being a 22-year-old CEO, I literally walk into every room and I'm just like, what do I have to lose? Genuinely, if if I mess up this meeting or if I stuff up, I still have roughly eight years until I'm 30 to recover and I can build my career back. What do I have to lose? Yeah, yeah, I can, I can tell you that probably the only thing you have to lose is your hairline. That probably comes inevitably <laughs> at some point, anyway. Um, that, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you here. Again, I want to, I want to dig into this a little bit further. One of the things that you're revealing here is that through lived experience, you can make choices not to replicate the experience of those who came before you, but to stand on the shoulder of giants and then to do something different. Have you always felt different? to other people or is this something that you've learned to do along the way oh absolutely even to this very day i still feel very different incredibly different in every room that i go into again first generation migrant look at me i'm i look very different but the reality is i've learned to embrace that i've learned to see that as a strength because as adriana was mentioning we bring such a different perspective culture um, we bring this entire different perspective around life about aspirations about education about family and so for me i've always felt that even to this very moment i still feel it but i've embraced it more and i have tapped that into my leadership and realized that so many young people feel that way and if if i can show that feeling of feeling different as a strength that's my servitude to the world. That's my servitude to society. Um, so that's my sort of mentality around it. You, you mentioned intrinsic and extrinsic motivators, and we all need a bit of both in our lives. You've been recognised this year by the Asia Australian Leadership Summit and via their 40 Under 40 Most Influential Asian Australian Award. What does that sort of award mean to you? Uh, I mean, it's surreal because 40 under 40 and I just turned 22. It's just like, how am I even on that list? But I think more than anything, it's it's a bit of validation. As you mentioned, it's a bit, bit of an extrinsic validation to me that I'm on the right path, that I'm actually doing something that's meaningful. But more than anything, it's just visibility. It's representation. It's the idea that being an Asian Australian, you can achieve whatever you want. You can be influential. Um by going out of your comfort zone, by following your dreams, passions. So 
yes, it's awesome to have, but the older I get, the more I realize like awards that really mean a lot if you don't make meaningful impact. Um, but again, it's just visibility. It's it's awesome. It shows younger people that they can also do it, that you can be on a 40 under 40 list. Um, but yeah, just visibility more than anything, to be honest with you. Yeah, the validation, I think, is really important. You know, it's 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 hard forging a pathway and for, for people around you to say, you know what, yeah, yeah, you're doing well, you're on the right sort of path. I think that's really, really important. Um, apart from your parents, you mentioned earlier, who have been the greatest influences on you in your learning journey? We're still on extrinsic. I'm going to come to intrinsic in a moment. Yeah, I mean, to be totally honest with you, I'm a massive sports fanatic. So in terms of extrinsic role models... And what, 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 which sports, mate? Which sports? Uh, so cricket and soccer, I am diehard. So funny Excellent. enough... Well, yeah, well, at least week. one of them is a decent sport. I'm glad you mentioned the right world. <laughs> Jane, I'm glad you mentioned the world game, mate. That's all that matters. Yeah, no. So <laughs> athletes and sports have always been <laughs> the area that I found a lot of belonging. Don't get me wrong. Like just in school, being a young person, but also... Just looking up to athletes, for instance, like I'm a massive Manchester United fan. So Cristiano Ronaldo is the only post I've ever had on my wall of any athlete. I think this interview is just going downhill. First, you, you try and claim you try and claim that the, the fishbowl aquarium of Sydney is the best city in the country, and now now you're advocating for Manchester United. I should say, sorry. <laughs> anyway, I sorry. Keep keep well, going, Jahin. Keep going. Just come here with your agenda. There it is. You just ignore that petulant art teacher, and you keep going, Jahin. You know, it's, it's um, oh. so so so. I remember it so as a young a young bloke growing up in Sydney, uh, Alan Ball was was my mm. absolute hero because he was a left-hander like I was a left-hander um, he only had four shots uh, and he played them all really well he, he, he developed a fifth shot um, later mm. in his career as well he learned how to sweep which was quite an interesting thing but he, he it just his his grit his determination his resilience his, his capacity to make choices around what he did uh, he wasn't a particularly articulate sort of fellow but you know it's it's yeah I, I, I get it I think um, I think I think sport is a wonderful way of, of us manifesting, I guess, what our research at a school for tomorrow has, has taught us, which is that the lessons we learn outside the classroom through our mm -hmm. interactions with the co-curriculum and, and in relationship and through experiences of the world, we then bring inside to support our learning. I want to turn to extrinsic, uh, sorry, intrinsic motivation, if I can now. I think it was Aristotle who, who first articulated the idea, at least in Western traditions, I'm sure, it's been. I'm, I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure it's in lots and lots of other traditions that go back earlier. But Aristotle expressed the idea that excellence is a habit. That it is the practice of those behaviours which allow us to be the best at something, which is more important than anything else. Uh, we we need the attitude. We need the disposition. We need the intention. But we need to be prepared to do those things again and again and again, deliberately and intentionally, which make us better than other people. How do you help young people to acquire those habits? Very interesting question. I think I think to acquire those habits, a lot of it does come from knowledge, as you mentioned, you know, reading a lot of books, the habits that I've gained, for instance, going for a walk, movement, you know, meditation, all these things come from books, come from, you know, age old wisdom. And I think I'm a big advocate for reading um, and being able to implement those life skills. And I'm a big advocate as, as well for in implementing these life skills into the curriculum. You know, I think growing up, I, I, I can remember the books that I've read in school 
they were all very forced. They were all like, oh, you have to read this because you have to write a paper at the end or you're going to be marked on this. But if we can create a culture where reading becomes, you know, like something we look forward to, you know, I want to read about resilience, creates, I want to read about Alan Border's, you know, autobiography, something to look forward, understand those life skills. I think that's the culture we need to shift in, in the school environment because, uh, again, all the books I've read, for instance, Harry Potter and all these things during school were because I had to, not because I wanted to. Um, and I feel, I feel like we, we can reframe the lessons and wisdom we get from books and reading and the habits you get from that. It really makes a lot of difference um, in your development, especially as a young person. All right. So I want to, I want to stick with the, with the, um, the school experience uh, as we're touching upon now. And by, by the way, I'm a huge Cristiano Ronaldo fan as well, mate. Although no, no, no. There's no, there's no plays, coming back from what. There's he no plays, coming back from what you did. Just move he, on to Prado. He plays yeah, for the wrong. He on. plays for the wrong EPL team, but he's still a superstar. He undeniable. No, no. no I'm okay. Not so I often wonder why we do certain things in schools that we do to him. And you, you touched upon it there. It's almost like it's being done to students as opposed to opting in. School communities kind of have an opportunity in many ways to, to embed practices and emerging practices that would better align to what you're talking about and, and, and allow um, some of our deepest values and, and commitments to children to kind of mm, come to the surface to allow young people to thrive in their world, not the world that we're imagining. What was the best learning opportunity or experience that you had at high school and why was it the best? Hands down, it was the teachers, to put it bluntly, just whenever the teachers would talk about their own lives and their own lived experience and what it's like after high school and the struggles that they went through, the joys that they went through, those are the conversations and the lessons that I remember to this very moment. Whenever we'd have a class, we'd learn, but then the teachers would open up and be very real with us and say, hey, yes, you may not need this in life when it comes to maths and you know, equations but solving compl complex problems in university or it, when you're working a team or when you get married you know these experiences really really did a lot for us and I speak on behalf of all my friends in my cohort we still talk about this to this very day the best lessons and the most memorable lessons is when we had teachers for instance who to us were like our parents during those not uh, those school days talk about their life skills, talk about their life experiences, talk about the, the things that really relate to them from school. Um, and I think we need more of that. We need more of that realness of mm -hmm. experiences rather than mm -hmm. this is what you have to do, but rather this is why you're doing this. This is how it's implemented into day-to-day -day life and adulthood and all these things. So yeah, those experiences have been instrumental in my development. It's interesting that your response to me wasn't about necessarily a... Um curriculum-based learning opportunity, but it was about that people matter and that that when the adults have the courage to lean into their own vulnerability and share parts mm -hmm. of their own journey as examples, uh, they're the kind of inspirational stories that young people connect with on, on, a, on a regular basis. I mean, you're spending so much time with them to know them um, just as much as you want them to know you, um, you want to get to know, know them as well so you feel comfortable enough to, to be able to trust in that space. Um, my esteemed colleague, Dr. Phil Cummins, would refer to that as character apprenticeship. And uh, I, would, I would say that the notion of apprenticeship 
has probably been the oldest vocation in the world. I mean, a mother or a father has been guiding their children the moment they're born, right? And introducing them to new learning every single day, how to walk, how to talk, how to eat, right? And there are those moments. And as, as far as I'm concerned, that's a form of apprenticeship because there, there's, there's an applied context happening in, in, that, in that learning. I love when Phil talks about character apprenticeship because it takes it to another level. It's not just then about the interaction between the adult and the, and the learner and then the learner and the adult. It talks about intentionally a purpose, and that character is the reason why we do school. What have you learned about your character through your secondary education that you continue to use today in your life? I think the main thing that I've learned is resilience more than anything. When I look back at my primary school, secondary school experience and the struggles that I, was, that I went through, through a lot of like racism, discrimination, social anxiety, all that stuff, that resilience of, no, I actually overcame that. Oh. No, yes, I went through all of that, but I'm still here. That's the element that I always look back on to this very day at 22. Um, even in my career, in my professional career, continuing university, it's that resilience that, yes, I'll go through downs, I'll go through moments where I'm just shattered. But the reality is if I went through that, if I went through all of that and I still made it out, I can make it out of anything. And I think that resilience element is, again, a life skill um, and it's been instrumental for me. So moving forward... You made a decision at one point that in the face of uh, hate and, and some adversity because of your skin colour and your ethnicity and that you, visibly you were different perhaps to others, you made a decision to not reject that difference but to lean into its power. I love that, by the way. I think that's, that's, that's remarkable that you came to that crossroad uh, because I, I've always only ever encouraged the students in my care to lean into, into inherently who they are and, and what's made them. You know, because uh, I've said this many, many times on this podcast, you know, our diversity is our inherent strength. Uh, and, and let's face it, smarter organisations around the world, like the World Economic Forum, are starting to realise the value, <laughs> economic value of diversity, right? <laughs> and how to, how to leverage all that. If you've got a young person in front of you, Jahin, who's in identity crisis, whether it's around their ethnicity, whether it's around their sexual orientation, whether it's around the faith that they follow, whether it's around perhaps their ability or disability or whatever it may be that makes them uniquely them, after you've listened to their story, what would you say to them about the value of their identity? I think it would come back to what you were mentioning of strength and I would ask them why do they feel that way? And the reality is, and I can guarantee this nine out of ten times, most of the times that they will say that they feel struggling, they, they feel like they're struggling or they're different is because when they care about what other people think, when they care about that extrinsic validation of, oh, what will this person think if I be open about myself if, or if I'm embracing myself or if I'm, you know, embracing who I am, that's the reality. And I think a lot of you, you know, you have to acknowledge their vulnerability and that strength, but also in a very gentle way question, okay, if you're caring about what other people think, do you realize that they're also thinking about what you think of them and vice versa? And it just creates a ripple effect. And so I think if we can get into the crux of the matter, and that this is what's helped me in terms of understanding, okay, where is this idea of me not belonging coming from? And the reality is it's me when I care about other people too much. When I'm myself, again, one, it's easier to be myself. And two, people resonate with that even more because they see confidence. They see the idea that, you know, I, I'm comfortable in who I am. 
And so I think that's what, that would be the question that I asked them. Um, I wouldn't give them any solutions. I don't think we should be going to young people and saying, hey, this is what you have to do. This mm. is the habits you have to form. No, mm. I think we just have to gently ask them questions and help them find their own solutions because that's the only way that, that they're going to find sustainability and long-term satisfaction and fulfillment in it. Shaheen, we would define an advocate or advocacy as taking responsibility to lead by enacting fundamentals and beliefs. It's about growing in the moral character of doing good and right through courage and honour and humility. It's about exercising stewardship of your community with a selfless advocacy for a better today and tomorrow. So much of what we've heard you talk about today is the way in which you think about other people's better today and tomorrow and the way in which you advocate for that. What commitments are you making personally to your ongoing growth as a future builder? Well, the main commitment that I'm making to myself is just to be honest. I think honesty goes very, very far. Um, One thing that I've experienced in this field in advocacy and in the professional world is a lot of people just try to, whenever they get to a stage, they try to, you know, mold themselves into something that they're not. They try to think, I have to be someone else. Look at me now and all these things. And so I made a promise to myself, you know, when I first started my advocacy journey that I'll do this, I'll work hard, I'll persevere, but I'll also be very honest with myself. I have to be honest because why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I want, I wish I had this when I was growing up. I wish I had someone who advocated for me that I could see visibly that looked like me, that was pursuing their goals and aspirations. And so for me, my biggest ongoing promise is be honest with yourself. If you're struggling, take take, take some rest, be mindful of that. If you're doing well, do not become complacent. Understand that it can fall off, fall off anytime. So I think honesty is the fundamental value that my parents taught me. And it's something that I keep to myself and even share with my team um, ongoing. Just want to just jump in here, mate, just really quickly um, before Phil wraps this conversation up. There's so much of what you have shared with us is, is this aspiration for, for a more just and sustainable world. It's a lofty goal. It weighs heavy on all of us, but it's an intri- it's it's an important um, uh, altruistic motivation that we are simply better than we were yesterday. But together, we're better. You know what I'm interested also in? I wonder if our listeners are. What what does Jahin do just to chill, just to relax? Because I mean, we've spoken about lots of very important and heavy topics today, uh, and I don't want to dismiss their value because they are so significant. And and what you continue to do in the advocacy space, particularly for young people and more marginalised communities, is, is something that we should continue to celebrate and get really behind. But how do you relax, mate? Well, mate, my response, you're going to hate because it's sports. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Manchester United. It's no. That's not going to help you relax because they lose all the time, mate. So... <laughs> Well, it's part of the process for building. Um, no, think, building resilience. <laughs> building resilience in every element of my life. Yeah. Um, no, I think sports is definitely an outlet for me. Just being able to just zone out and just watch sports and watch things I care about and just spending time with loved ones, to put it frankly. Like I am nothing without people around me, my support system. And so just having a night out or just mind mindlessly watching a movie, it's, it's everything to me. Quality time is is fundamental to who I am and yeah, just to help me wind down and just, just have fun. You know, like it's, it's, it's in, I'm still 22. So I get to do that. <laughs> I have a feeling that uh, I have a feeling that most of your life is about quality time. I think you, you put quality into everything you do to him. And it's been a real privilege 
to have you on Game Changers today. Thank you so much for um, sharing who you are. You know, we teach who we are and we lead from the core of our being. And you, you, you exemplify that in bucket loads. You know, if if you set yourself this goal to be a role model, well, you're doing it. Just keep going. Uh, watch out for those people who would would have you be anything other than yourself. I mean, each one of us has to be transforming. You know, each one of us has to become something else. We can't stand still, but don't don't let them corrupt yourself to become someone other than yourself. You're uh, you're a shining example of uh, what is possible in this country of ours. And uh, we applaud your works and we're going to watch what you do with interest. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.